There are few characters in literature and film as memorable as Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. And uh, he is a tragic character whose downfall is the very thing that he desires the most, his precious, the ring of power. And his love for the ring really fuels his hatred of and his envy of the two hobbits, Frodo and Bilbo, who possess the ring at various times. Uh, in an article entitled, The Unbearable Sadness of Being Gollum, Craig Boyd writes this. He says, Tolkien's description of Gollum conforms to a Catholic account of envy, which is a sadness of the soul. And it is Gollum's unbearable sadness and his unquenchable desire for the ring that marks his character. And this particular vice severs him from community, inflames his hatred of others, and divides him against himself. That is a pretty good summary of the results of the sin of envy. That it severs us, it cuts us off from community and, and makes us hate other people. And it even divides us within ourselves. It's been said that of the seven deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. Think about that. Gavin Ortland agrees. He says most other devices tend to produce some kind of pleasure, however momentarily, but envy is nothing but unpleasant through and through. It is a constant thief of joy. Another good description of envy. A constant thief of joy. And yet, we all experience it, don't we? We all allow it to steal our joy. Well, the book of Proverbs has quite a few things to say about envy. And so we're going to look at a couple of verses this morning. So would you please stand for this reading of God's word? First in Proverbs 14. It says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. And then in chapter 23, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. This is God's word for God's people and for the good of the world. Please be seated. I think we all experience envy to some degree. But the interesting thing about envy is that envy is often a hidden sin. It's often hidden from us. It's, we often don't recognize envy within ourselves because it sometimes masquerades as just ambition or motivation or maybe an appreciation of the finer things in life. Right? I, I need that Maserati that my neighbor down the street just got. Not because I'm envious, but because I just appreciate good Italian engineering. Right? And I've got to get zero to 60 in two seconds to be able to drive in this town. Okay? You know, we have, uh, we have some realtors in our congregation. And I know that if, if you're a realtor, you deal with envy all the time. Right? Young couples who have a perfectly fine house but want a bigger home. They've been watching HGTV. And they just have got to have that modern, chic 
big house. And, and anyway, it's not, for, it's not for us. It's for our kids. We need a big backyard for them to play in or they won't be happy. And it's for others. You know, we, we just want to be able to host, be able to have everybody over for Bible study. Listen, I'm not judging. Because envy is alive and well in the church as well. We pastors, we so often wish we had a bigger congregation or could preach like so-and-so or just had a bigger platform. And we say it's because we're zealous for the kingdom of God, but it's often because we just wish we were more successful or more influential or admired. Envy often hides from us. So how do, we, how do we find it in ourselves? How do we locate it? Okay, well, here's a couple of things to think about. One, one kind of good test is when you go on vacation and you have got settled and it is that time, it's time to relax. Can you relax? Or is there something in you saying, no, this, this, my life isn't good enough. I, I got to get back to work to, to get that promotion, to keep up with the Joneses. Can you relax? Another way to determine if you're suffering from envy is if your neighbor or your family member gets that shiny new thing, the, the new house, the new car, swimming pool, new barbecue grill. Are you happy for them or do you kind of resent it? See, envy is wanting someone else's life. But it's not just wanting somebody else's life. It also leads us to begrudge people the good things that they receive. See, envy uh, in its purest form refuses to rejoice with those who rejoice. In fact, envy weeps when others rejoice, and it rejoices when others weep, which is an insidious thing, isn't it? Finally, ask yourself, is if my life as it is now is maybe all I get, can I be happy? Can I be happy with what I have? Those are hard questions, but rooting out envy is crucial for your long-term joy, your long-term happiness. Because envy is the enemy of contentment. I think Proverbs 14.30 gives such a good word picture. Let's look at it again. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. What that's saying is that a person whose heart is at peace about his or her circumstances is able to give life to both to himself and to others. But envy rots the bones. It, it really brings death to us and to those around us. It's like, envy is like a dementor in Harry Potter. Just stealing, sucking your joy. And it can take any gift of God and, and, and ruin it. We see this from the very beginning of the Bible with Adam and Eve who were in the Garden of Eden. They were in paradise. They had Everything. There was only one thing they couldn't have. That don't eat of the fruit of that one tree. But they had everything else, all they could desire. 
But the serpent said, oh, that'll, that'll make you as knowledgeable as God. So they, what did they do? They envied that fruit. They envied that knowledge of God. They took it and they ate it and they lost it all. So the opposite of envy is contentment. It's contentment. And really, you can't have both envy and contentment. You really, they're, they're, they're crowding each other out. You either have one or the other. And the Bible, not surprisingly, is big on contentment. Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, that last verse... That's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's not a verse about achievement. I can do all things. I can, I can play in the NFL because Christ is with me. You know, I can fly because Christ, no. It's not about achievement. In context, it's about contentment. I can do all things. I can live in whatever circumstances God has put me in because I have Christ who strengthens me. And then Paul tells Timothy, that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into ruin and destruction. Christian, are you content to just have the food and clothing that you need, knowing that even these are gifts from God? John D. Rockefeller, the first billionaire in the United States and at one time the wealthiest man in the world. He was asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? His answer, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Here's a man that will never, and an attitude that will never be content, that will never be able to relax and enjoy life on a deep level. Do you want to live like that? No, I'll answer for you. You don't. So, how do we deal with envy? Well, the solution for envy is two things. It's first, to recognize, we have to recognize God's work in your life. But second, you have to also keep your future life in view. See, to recognize God's work in your life is to recognize what the Bible tells us, which is that God knows what is best for us. And he not only knows what is best, he's also constantly giving us what is best for us. I mentioned earlier, pastors struggle with envy. And I came across a, uh, a letter that the pastor John Brown wrote to a, uh, a local pastor I read this when I was in Stillwater, pastoring a small church. He says this. He says, I know the vanity of your heart and that you feel mortified that your congregation is very small in comparison with those of your brethren around you. But assure yourself on the word of an old man that when you come to give an account of them to the Lord Christ at his judgment seat, you will think you have had enough. Think about that. That is so good and so true. God calls us to be faithful, even in the small things. 
and to not despise the small things, but to have gratitude for what he's given us, no matter what it is. That is really the secret of contentment, a thankful heart, a grateful heart. This week, I, uh, I watched uh, the Netflix series Quarterback, which follows three different NFL quarterbacks throughout the 2022 season. And uh, Kirk Cousins was one of the quarterbacks. And Kirk Cousins has been in the NFL for a while, I think going on uh, a decade. And he's, he's known as a very solid, good quarterback, wins a lot of games. But the knock on him is that he can't win the big one, right? Ten years, he's only won one playoff game, never been to the Super Bowl. And as they follow him through the 2022 season, his team, the Vikings, have a great year. They win 13 games, go 13-4. He engineers the biggest comeback in NFL history. And they make the playoffs. They get into the playoffs and they play the New York Giants. And they lose. First game. And the camera crew follows Kirk into the locker room as he sits in front of his locker, just sort of dazed, just just obviously clearly disappointed, but probably wondering, is this just going to cement my reputation? Am I ever going to get that Super Bowl? But then the camera crew follows him home, and as he comes home, he, he helps with the dishes, and he's putting the kids to bed. And uh, with one of his sons, Cooper, he, he goes to, has, reads a book, and then he says, okay, let's sing and pray. And he sings, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And then he prays, Lord, thank you that daddy didn't get hurt today, and thank you that Cooper got to go to the football game, and thank you for mommy and little brother, and thank you for our great family. That is someone who is trying hard, working hard for gratitude. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it is a battle. Listen, I even know it's hard to be grateful when it's 105 degrees outside, isn't it? And all of you people listening to this sermon online, vacationing up in Canada or Iceland, and wearing your hoodies, sipping hot chocolate, because we're a little cold outside. Just know that we hate you, and we want you to have frostbite. No, we don't. And actually, you know, the Westminster Confession says when it's talking about the Tenth Commandment, don't covet. It says that it's, it's not enough to just refrain from coveting. We also need to wish our neighbors well. When we're looking on Facebook, Envy book, whatever it's called. You see those pictures. I'm so glad you are able to have a good vacation. Truly am. And that's a small thing, right? Wishing you had someone else's weather. But the bigger thing is wishing you had someone else's life. Recently, a a good friend of mine who's about my age uh, inherited a bunch of money, enough money he doesn't have to work for the rest of his life. And as I've thought about him, you know, I, I, I don't think I want a bigger house. I don't think I need a different car. I like my Kia Soul. But, man, to be able to play golf every day, not have to go to meetings, go to a movie whenever I want. But when I start going down that road, 
I start to become discontent with my life, with my calling. And that ultimately leads to discontentment with God. The beautiful thing about God, though, is that if you're a believer, God is working for your good all the time. He knows what you need and when you need it. And envy is fundamentally saying to God, Lord, you're not giving what, me what I really need. You're not a good provider. And yet Psalm 84 says, No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is not a miser. He is not withholding anything from you that is good for you. He is always giving you everything that you need. The question is, can you trust his provision? Can you trust his plan? Well, along with our need to recognize God's work and his provision in our life now, we also need to keep our future life in view. Uh, Proverbs 23, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. So if you're a Christian, you have a future and a hope that is found outside of this life. And if you want a better life, be assured, you will have a better one one day. And actually, the more you trust God in this life, the evidence is that the better your life in the next will be. See, the way that the Bible talks about the next life is as a great rehearsal. The first will be last. The last will be first. The poor will become rich, and the rich oftentimes will become poor. Jesus' parable of the, the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man, is a perfect example of that. Lazarus, who had to beg for scraps from the poor man's table his whole life, we see him, and he is ruling and reigning in heaven, while the poor man, who doesn't even get a name, he is suffering in hell. And so if you think you are getting the short end of this stick, in this life by not having enough money or not having the, the body or the career that you have always wanted. Well, know that if you trust in him, you will never get the short end of the stick. That you will have riches beyond what you can fathom in the new heavens and the new earth. And ultimately, the life of Jesus Christ tells us a story of contentment over envy. Philippians 2 says that Jesus though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. What's that saying? Saying that Jesus, when he came to earth, when he became a baby, became a man at his incarnation, he accepted the life of a servant. He became a nobody. And he never complained. He never envied his former life of rule as being the ruler of heaven did not grasp at equality with God, but accepted his life, trusted the Father's plan for his life, which included torture, crucifixion, and went through it for our salvation. And now, as Tim Keller says, if, if Jesus didn't complain when he received a life infinitely worse than he deserved, why should we complain when we, when all of us get a life infinitely better than we deserve?
Christian, are you able to be joyful in all circumstances? Because here's the thing, the amount that you believe the gospel is measured by your ability to be joyful in all circumstances. Because if you truly understand what a treasure that the, the presence and the love and the acceptance of God is, even when your life goes really wrong, you'll have a joy that sustains you because you'll recognize the incredible value of what you have in him. When life goes on the ra- off the rails, you can say, I still have God's love. I still have his presence and his infinite acceptance. You have a joy that no evil or suffering can touch. And you can sing even on your worst day, in Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. The book of Proverbs, the way of wisdom is contentment and gratitude. And the way of folly that leads to death is envy and inability to find our joy in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we all at times wish that we had someone else's life. And there is always going to be somebody who does it better, uh, who has more than we have. And so there's no lack of people to envy in this world. Father, you call us not to live anyone else's life, but to live our own and to enjoy life. Jesus, you came that we might have life and that we might live it more abundantly. And so we pray that you would help us to take the scap, the scalpel to our hearts to root out the covetousness, to root out the, the envy that is buried deep in there, that we might be freed, that we might be freed to pursue joy and contentment. Father, we can't do this on our own. We need your spirit to work in us. We trust that he will. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and friend, we pray. Amen.